put your hands together for the late morning program with your host, Nam Ross. It's definitely a late morning. <laughs> hey, Dima. Nice to see you again. Yeah, great to see you. Bima Karma, uh, one of my old friends from uh, Tawako, yeah. New Jersey, and uh, he taught me how to play Madunga, Too Tall, many, many years ago, and uh, you're just in the area, so I thought to have yeah. you on the show. Yeah. Thanks for being here and doing yes, this. Yes, uh, it's, it's a fun surprise, so yeah, really, here. really appreciate it. So um, I find you're a very fascinating person in many ways, um, but... Before we get to the really super fascinating stuff, I'd like to know kind of a bit of your background. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you grew up in the Hare Krishna movement from your birth. Um, so tell us a little bit about your experiences and maybe just about, you know, yeah, just about your upbringing for, to start with. If you want to put on the headphones or you don't have to. Yeah, um, it's kind of one of those things where it's awkward to hear your own voice sometimes. It yeah, sounds yeah. like I love my own voice, oh, no. so I yeah. just <laughs> <laughs> I started remove one of the dimensions of uh, weirdness here. All right. So maybe <laughs> I'll do that too. All right. So um, basically, Actually, my mother and father were initiated by you know Srila Prabhupada before, like seven years before I was born, around there. Right. Um, uh, so. I didn't really know anything else except for that growing up, and especially I grew up in New Vrindavan in West Virginia. Mm-hmm. So it was a real remote type of an environment in in which there was very, especially during my earlier years, very, very little interaction uh, in a normative way, in a regular way with you know the rest of America and modern culture and whatever it is. So whatever culture we had in our little village kind of setting there, mm-hmm is what was normal for me so that was really you know very it's still to this day a very interesting and unique perspective you know um uh it was yeah it was the best of times it was the worst of times you know it was uh it was everything amazing but um i have to say that i feel incredibly fortunate um i'm i feel just blessed and i i just can't even uh say how much I appreciate the way I was raised, even despite all of the, you know, there were some pretty difficult things that I went through there as well. I mean, everybody does maybe, but I I went through some very difficult things. Mm. Um, But uh, what I, you know, gained out of that was uh, a path that I've continued to follow my whole life um, of, you know, spiritual discovery. And, you know, many people may have a, a natural, you know, curiosity or desire you know, to know more about like a larger perspective into which everything fits, you know, you know, that we could call spirituality. Mm. And I just feel that the way I was raised and being connected to, you know, Vedic culture and specifically to this, you know, very spiritual aspect of Vedic culture, it gave me so much rich resource to really um, explore those questions and so many dimensions that uh, I don't really see available to me many other places that I've been, you know, mm. since then. So uh, it's fantastic to, you know, have that connection since young. And yeah, so yeah, mother and father were there, you know, since seven years I was born there, West Virginia. And I, then you went to Gurukul in New Vrindavan? Gurukul in New Vrindavan. Okay. 
and um you know gurukula means you know living in the school boarding school kind of a situation i guess right and, uh until i was um fourth grade fifth grade yeah right in the, i think it was in the middle of the fourth grade or something that i left so you mm-hmm. know it's so like 12 like that and then so. you moved out of the that area or? yeah yeah we moved away from new Vrindavan at that point and um uh cincinnati ohio was the first place i went and okay if you know for those people who know something about ohio um back then this was like 1988 um you know it was not as clean a, a, and for people who actually lived there um, you know, I was in the Vine Street area, which was like probably one of the, you know, most criminal, you know, violent, dirty kind of wow. <laughs> heavy duty gang ridden neighborhoods. Oh Our God. house was like actually a condemned house. We just kind of like, you know, wow. figured out how to stay there. It was behind a McDonald's. <laughs> oh my gosh. And, uh, you know, and I had a shaved head and my name was Bima Karma. <laughs> and I had red hair. I was white. Which was also, you know, there was like maybe 10 white kids in the whole 300 kids school I was in. Oh my gosh. And uh, and I ate sandwiches with big slabs of tofu and double thick amounts of sprouts. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so there wasn't a whole lot about me that really like fit in yeah. into the middle of, you know, Cincinnati and public school. So that was, that was a quite a wow. transition period <laughs> wow then fast forwarding to like teenage life uh-huh you went to high school we yeah we moved a few t- a couple times even in the high school i moved at least like five times or something it was mm-hmm. it was moving but um my family was west coast my mother's family from oregon so we kind of migrated over there and uh you know we were in ohio for like a year or almost two years and then migrated there moved a few times in there but you know in that area so, um, yeah, I went to, you know, middle school and high school there in Oregon. And during that period, there wasn't any direct contact with devotees or with kirtan or yogic philosophy or anything, really. Oh. You know, my mother was, you know, we just really separated from that whole part of my life. And it was a real bifurcation psychologically, too. There was there's this kind of, like, previous identity you know, and you know, all of us can re- recall as children, you know, t- because there's such a shorter amount of time that we've lived, there's like huge yeah. contrast to periods of our life. And so there was this really huge striking contrast to like that past, which became kind of like a distant dream. Mm. Did it even happen? I don't know. It was so different. Like, I don't know. And, uh, you know, here I am in, you know, normal public school or whatnot. And uh, I just my mother was busy my mother was a single mom you know my father passed away when i was quite young when i was six and so she was a single mom she was working constantly right you know whatever it was she she didn't have a whole lot of involvement in my like kind of day-to-day personal you know friends and you know whatever it was she was busy working or just maintaining you know Mm. so i didn't really have a whole lot of you know guidance or counseling in terms of spiritual direction whatsoever i was really just kind of left to figure it out with my high school buddies and my middle school buddies and you know so on wow so there was this huge you know guru cool you know like you're living in the school yeah you know you just shaved head you're wearing robes you get to chant your mantras and cold showers and you know the whole thing and sit every morning back straight for bhagavatam class and all of it 
and then you know and then public school without any even involvement not even like a, you know a lot of people go to temples on sundays these days or something like that yeah not, you know nothing i think my mother kept you know seemed, yeah she always had like a picture of Prabhupada, you know on the wall somewhere as, as her guru so she kept that and right you know but uh yeah so i had this real interesting contrast going there yeah interesting so so then as as time goes on like we see that for for people who grew up as a Hare krishna they they have to then ultimately either embrace it or mm. or leave it or mm. kind of something in the middle yeah. so some what, kind of reckoning huh? yeah, yeah yeah you have to either join it or whatever so for you when yeah. did that happen um Actually, Karnamrita uh, was a friend of mine growing up in New Vrindavan. Of course, A yeah. friend of my sister's. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and there was this hot springs called Brightonbush Hot Springs in Oregon. It's still there. Beautiful place. I recommend you all go see it. What is it called? Brightonbush Hot Springs. Brightonbush yeah. Hot Springs, yeah. The ancient old growth forest. Uh, that's a, a, a spot our family frequented. Hot springs, you know, sprawling woods. And so I used to go mountain biking and hiking. And that uh, was a favorite spot. So I was up there one time with uh, a friend of mine, and uh, I w- they have a uh, buffet when we're at dinner, and I was getting up to leave from dinner, and I get up and I see Karnamrita's face. You know, she's from Nuvrindavan. And this is the first contact I had had with anybody or anything oh, really? from Nuvrindavan since I was, you know, there, basically. Wow. And, you know, as I said, there was this real sense of, you know, uh, dissociation, you can say, of this past. This is at that point, it was like a mythic past that d- it was so distant. I didn't even, you know, really register it as reality in my life, you know. Mm-hmm. And with her face, boy, was it suddenly a reality again. And uh, it was, uh, you know, there was a great deal of intensity around that. I, I didn't sleep that night, of course, and um, I was actually just up all night. Um, having memories surface really like you know kind of re-entering into my uh, just from seeing her face yeah 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 because you know all those things i hadn't really even thought of as me you know you can say kind of you know in sanskrit we have this term ahankar you know um which is basically the identity we we function with and we you know construct everything around and on top of you know Mm -hmm. and at that point, my ahankar, my sense of self, was really completely separate from ever having existed like that. And so all those memories and so on were also, compl- I didn't even really remember a lot of that stuff for all those years, like seven years or whatever it was, I don't mm-hmm. know. And as soon as I spoke, to, I saw her and like, you know, and then she was off talking to my sister and I was like sitting over on the bed, just like pretty much just rocking back and forth here going and just all this stuff surfacing. Wow. And so it was kind of like a redefinition of who I am that it took years to really put these two dramatic polarities back together in some way. Mm. It was a piece of, you know, it was a real long-term art project there <laughs> that had a, you know, I mean, it was, a, it's hard to convey the intensity of it. Um, but I mean, I, I had, you know, times of seizures. I had uh, years of, like really heavy stuff happened to me you know uh, at that time that i didn't remember that came to you know came to surface and wow so there was a lot of reckoning and i I ended up leaving home 
uh, <laughs> I sold my mountain bike. Uh, I was in mountain biking on that, so I had a real nice mountain bike, you know. Yeah. Marzaki, Rock Shocks, Cannondale. I was like, you know. Cannondale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back <laughs> yeah. then it was like, you know, big deal, you know. Yeah. The fat tube thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's expensive. Yeah. And Marzaki's was like, that was some of the first Rock Shocks to ever come out, you know. Yeah. I sold it, uh, my baby, and um, I got a train ticket, actually. You know, I, I was like, I had just turned 17. You know, my birthday's in January, so it was kind of like winter. It is in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. And um, I just had a really hard time keeping my composure. I mean, it was such an abrupt shock to me that uh, I decided I had to kind of leave home. I had this real strong instinct to go back to New Vrindavan. Really? So I bought a train ticket, and, and I'm in, this is Oregon, wet New Vernavans in West Virginia, so you can't really get to further apart places in the country, you know? <laughs> so I, and I was 17, you know, I, illegal actually for me to be traveling that way and stuff alone without permission or whatever, but I did it, and I got a train ticket, and I somehow found my way there, and trains and buses and whatever, and it was the worst winter, you know, you can look up the winter of, you know, what, what year was it? It was 94. Hmm. Yeah, it was like the worst winter in like 20 years or whatever it was. And it was illegal to drive. The roads were paved with ice. And it was like, you know. <laughs> wow. Anyways, it was, uh, yeah, it was quite a ride. So you uh, went back there to New Vrindavan. Yeah. And to to kind of discover again your roots, you could yeah, say. Yeah. Yeah. And um, over the years, it's been kind of like, a, you know, there's these two real contrasted parts. And I think all of us have a lot of, you know, contrast inside of us. And, you know, uh, years later when I was in Tuaco, you know, when we met, uh, someone asked me a really important question. You know, she was like actually my first mentor, Krishna Leela. Uh, you know, I, I initially approached her, you know, to be like a counselor. She was, She's a counselor, you know, has four master's degrees in counseling. So, you know, and but before she takes people on, you know, or, or did back then, she, you know, so, okay, well, what do you what do you really need? You know, what are you doing here? Right. You know, are you gonna waste my time? You know, kind of right, right. <laughs> punk. <laughs> <laughs> so she, you know, so she had me answer a question of like, you know, what do you want to achieve? Kind of, you know. And so I, I was like, wow. Okay, let me think about this. And what I came up with was that, you know, when I look at myself, I see there's something that I have in me. You know, that's very clear, that's very beautiful, that's very buoyant, that's, you know, full of, you know, uh, very pleasant, you know, loving, you know, sentiment and, and, and there's a freedom, there's, there's you know, simplicity and, you know, so much of these, you know, beautiful qualities. Right. And, and but then there's like on the outside, I, I'm challenged to be able to like find a way to express that in the world and you know it gets real mixed up with all this you know stuff that i have from my past or you know social norms and you know and uh, so something gets lost you know i get lost in the translation and so i think all of us kind of deal with this you know struggle in some way or another and um and for me it was just really contrasted between my you know ra- upraising and then you know the public school side of it too at that point mm-hmm. and um in life, it's kind of just, I don't know, it seems like we all have sort of patterns that just keep going on, but we just maybe take them, and each time we go back and forth, it's a, it's a deeper, it's broader, it's richer, and, and it yields more and more kind of, you know, realizations and, mm. you know, maturity and depth and so on. So I've my whole life has been kind of, you know, in some way or another, you know, going back and forth between these two contrasts of 
spiritual life versus you can say like you know modern culture or mm. so on and, and and gradually finding a way to create uh, an identity and a lifestyle and find a find a cultural home you know sort of that lets there be integrity between those two sides of things you know mm-hmm. yeah so one thing that any, you know anyone who knows me knows the two things Murdanga and Krishna <laughs> right <laughs> so that's a that's a good segue into into Murdanga. So, so for people who don't know you, you're you're very um, technically um, knowledgeable about this drum, the Murdanga. And for people you know who know the Hare Krishnas, they play this drum that on the, on the street they play it, in the temples they play it. So Bhima Karma has has studied it for many many years in a very deep way, practicing for many hours as well as the theory behind the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So, how did that start? How did you get such um, an attraction for the for the playing for, of that about the of that drum? Well, um, my mother gave me a little Quaker oatmeal box painted up like one when I was two, and I, I guess wow. you can say you know my mother was my first Murdanga guru initiating me that way. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of us grew up loving. I I certainly grew up loving Murdanga, and it was just uh, I don't know, it was just a natural fascination and love that I've had in my whole life and you know besides my breath it's probably the one real constant thing that's been there mm. and so you can say that's kind of been my bridge you know that that sort of holds these you know all the parts of me together and I've found a sense of integrity um, through developing this culture of you know sacred rhythm and music in my life mm. you know through the, that love that you know I was gifted with wow and so you you studied it for in India, yeah, as yeah. well as here in America, and well, just in India, there's no, I couldn't find any. I've never met any teachers in America, right? <laughs> and even in India, it's not easy to find a, you know, Murdanga's, uh, you know, it's on the verge of, you know, the traditions, you know, uh, are really on the verge of extinction at this point, really, and, and it's the last of its breed, you can say, you know, of, in terms of ancient. Uh, Vedic, uh, meaning, you know, instruments that you can trace back into Vedic culture through its literature and, you know, cultural traditions that has not been, you know, modified, you know, that's actually doing what it did back then. It looks like what it looked like and, you know, so on. It's the last of its kind. And so in the drumming uh, section of the Natya Shastra, the 33rd chapter of the Natya Shastra, Natya means performance art dramaturgy if you will mm-hmm. so uh that includes obviously music and dance and singing and acting all of it and the that chapter that deals with Mardanga, you know clearly describes its you know uh, shape and uh it has three shapes the kritis uh, you know, um, a kriti is a make of something so it has it comp- compares them to just uh natural uh, things like so the a tabla, right, comes from the, the the one shape. So you have pakwaj, you have the South Indian murdanga, murdangam they call it, right? Right. Uh, the manipuri pung, you know, all these things you can Google and see a quick picture. They're basically all like an oval shape, mm-hmm. right? So you have a little bit of a, a sama or an um, equal uh, size to the treble and the bass, and, and they're closer in tonality. And um, those ones are compared to a yava, which is, it means like a barley, 
Because the barley is just oh, barley. Yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah, the Vedas like to give you like natural examples that yeah. everybody can relate to. So, <laughs> and then this shape is uh, compared to the Haritaki fruit. So if you you know look up Haritaki fruit, right, and you look at the fresh Haritaki fruit on the tree, you'll see little green murdagas. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. So you know some people uh, might think that because this is at this point in time local to Bengal and so on that oh it's a Bengali thing and it was just you that's know, what I thought. Yeah, and it was just invented you know at some point during you know Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's you know time and and uh, inaugurating Sankirtan in Bengal and so on. Mm-hmm. And, but actually, it's uh, as ancient as you get in terms of you know Vedic antiquity. And Vedic culture, and uh, it's really you know the 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 difference between the Yava Mridanga, the oval shaped where the treble and the bass are close together, mm-hmm. and our Mridanga, you know this Mridanga with the small head and the big bass, actually will convey in a nutshell what dramatic performance is in a Vedic perspective really nicely because dramatic performance is about rasa. Right, rasa um, literally means like um, the taste that is invoked in me by something that has been expressed mm-hmm. from from another. Or, right, so bhava is the so the whole machine works with bhava and rasa. So bhava is the expression, and rasa is the sentiment that arises from the expression. So everything's about producing this rasa. So rasa isn't just, you know, any old experience, right? But it's rather when, and like, we can use an analogy of food, right? Everyone may have tasted, you know, a, a certain dish a number of times, but once in a while you get that dish, you know, that's it's just prepared perfectly. Maybe your mood is just, everything's, everything's just coming together and you just bite in that and you're like, wow. You know, and, and it becomes this, uh, impression in your life even you know the defining moment of you know, <laughs> you know the perfect glove jumping or whatever it was you know yeah so that purified taste that sort of rises up from you know everything else and you know brings you to a depth through that taste that that's what rust is about mm. and it can be you know it can be things that may you know commonly conventionally be you know thought of as just you know not pleasurable as uncomfortable or you know uh, unwanted you know, such as anger or disgust or fear, right? You know, but when we experience any of these things in a purified way, um, there's a rasa in it. There's and, and rasa has um, that to enter into rasa. You know, we really taste something. The very first thing, the line we cross over is called adbhuta. So it's it means it's like otherworldly. Mm. So it's like you know, our eyes widen wow there's like a wow moment yeah what's you know because something just you just crossed over and there's something like new and you know exciting here and so yeah whether it's chivalry it's anger it's beauty it's elation it's whatever it is that's rasa so rasa as with anything has two polarities in it right so the polarities are um basically in, in all yogic literature and vedic literature spoken of as masculine and feminine energies purusha and prakriti Mm-hmm. And um, so in drumming, you know, you have the treble and the bass, obviously. Right. Right? So you have a purusha and the bass and the prakriti and the treble. And when the 
the base is basically always like a grounding element, right? So it's like, the, you know, it just needs to be low, especially in relationship to the treble. It just needs to be low. Right. It's simple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the treble, you got to really tune that, that head really sharply and well. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they take tuning and attention. And the treble, when it's tuned to the bass note, right, um, that's basically Purusha and Prakriti are together. They're home. They're on the bass note, the home note, the sa, right, the do. <laughs> right. And that's uh, sun yoga when there's union, mm -hmm. right? Sung to you know with yoga in union. So the the you know when we when we come home we're at, we're at our bass note there you know, and so you know I'm also a trauma therapist by the way. Uh, I studied that for a number of years. But so in, in trauma therapy the you know the main thing we look at is you have the parasympathetic nervous system which is calming when we calm down even into sleep and you know um and then you have the sympathetic nervous system which is you know going to excite us into response action right you know so the parasympathetic which soothes and calms is is what's you know brought about that's the kind of you know general rasa basically with the treble head being on the sa the first note mm. Right, and that's what you have with the mridangam, the pakawaj, right, the pung, and all you know, tabla, uh, and and also in pop music, you know, you're going to keep everything mostly on that sad parasympathetic. However, in dramatic contrast, um, so what's in, in Vedic thought the fifth note, right, the pancham, the sarigamapa. So that fifth note is considered the climax. So this is, you know, we're stretching. So there's a, you know, the word uh, viyoga or vinyoga um, is often translated as separation versus union, sun yoga. Mm. It's a really cool word, though. I mean, when you say vi in Sanskrit, it's kind of like, kind of almost like very. It's like very yoga. Mm. It's because of what we're doing is we're kind of taking that union and we're stretching it open. Hmm. So it's like you're in you're basically dramatic you're making that union dramatic because if I if I you know get to know you or, I, or you know with anything I I like apples. I like this person's company or anything. And then when I'm separated away from that that attachment becomes highlighted and intensified and so on and so on. Right. So this treble is tuned to the punchum or the fifth note. And so it's exciting and intensifying, and it, and it brings out, you know, intense emotion, more externally demonstrated, you know, emotionality or expression like that. So this is, just by looking at the two drums, you can kind of get this beautiful look at what, you know, um, ex uh, what is there in, in terms of what is performance art supposed to be in terms of a Vedic perspective and and you know a richer a specific example of that is kirtan you know what's the, what's the kind of plot in the kirtan it's to produce rasa mm. and the people you know who are there in the kirtan you can say or that's one way and another way is you know uh, the object of your worship you know the you know Krishna for the for the bhakta you know for the Krishna bhakta you know uh, basically it's you know whoever you want to, you know, bring rasa about, and it's going to be directed at that, as opposed to being a musician, you know, which most people, when they think of performance, I'm an actor, I'm a dancer, I'm a singer, I'm a drummer, 
I'm a you know violinist or I'm a sarangi, whatever it is you play, mm-hmm. right? So what what that does is it kind of what you are first, right, is actually someone who's you know bringing about rasa and they're focused on their bhava, right? This, their state of being, you know, that is you know giving rise to very specific expression, mm. which will bring about rasa, right? And really cool perspective, which is, you know, really right in line with our conversation, which is you have these, because in everything, we have these two dramatically, you know, polarities, you know, polarities. And, and basically, in one way or another, we're all faced with challenges and responsibilities, you know, to somehow in our lives, and our story, and our identity, you know, find a way to, you know, not just come to peace with these things, but, you know, let let them let their dance be very meaningful in our lives and bring about rasa mm. you know divine deep taste that gives us a direct experience not you know philosophy or a faith or a belief but a direct tasteful you know enriching experience that you know uh spiritual experience of our you know self experience that nourishes our spiritual self that identity, that ahankar, and, and lets a, a deeper thing start developing and growing out of vagueness into something very personal and mature and so on. So mm. Murdanga has really been my way of like kind of, you can say, following the stream that I found, you know, in the way I was raised in ISKCON and so on, uh, and following it up, you know, like what, What's there in you know? What's the baby in this bathwater here? And so Murdungo was my thread that I sort of followed. Very interesting. Very interesting. Um, so, for someone like me, or even in modern Iskan society now, it's like we learn Murdunga or we just maybe in the even the in the in the wider uh, topic of Kirtan, mm-hmm. we tend to. Um, just take it really lightly about learning mm-hmm. it properly or we just like kind of to just get by or and mm-hmm. and also in the mood of kirtan like you were saying you're giving such an explanation of what kirtan is about like what do you uh, being being uh, studying so much about kirtan and about mm-hmm. murdanga and stuff what do you think needs to be improved in our moods maybe uh, that we have right now in mm-hmm. of, of kirtan if you know what i'm asking yeah. well um my response to any kind of question in any context about you know what needs to be done which is you know process or you know how am i going to do this what you know you know sort of first implies a question of what's my desired end result you know right so what do i want to actually accomplish in the end the end you know and so it, it's really, I mean, it's a personal question for every individual. Um, and, f- you know, it's also if, if you have a society goal, right, it, it's a goal that needs to be defined. And basically, you, another way you can conversely look at that is by looking at the condition and the quality uh, of the kirtan as it is, that will tell you what the, you know, goal is currently of the society because that's what you got, you know, as as in our lives, you know. <laughs> right, as as we approach 
you know, Krishna, he says, we'll get that exact kind of response from him. He relates to us in that, um, you know, way. And so the kirtan is basically as Iskan has it, which in, in my perspective is not clearly defined. Interesting. The result, Interesting. And, and the, you know, objectively we can say that because you'll see a large spectrum of types of kirtan and things that are allowed or not allowed or, you know, so on. Right. So it's not, a, there's, there's nothing really uh, defined enough for any of us to go into like a, you know, ISKCON temple and say, you're allowed to do this or not allowed to do that so much, you know, inside of it because it's undefined. And, and, you know, furthermore, like I'll, I'll keep walking up a, a ladder here of implication, you know. Yeah, of course. So it's also implied that the leaders don't think of it as a really important thing to do to define kirtan, you know, to think about and to, you know, organize uh, their kirtan. And uh, really look at the philosophy and translate say, okay, if our um, values are, you know, the things that are most important to us in our, you know, ISKCON life and our, you know, temple life, then how would we do our kirtan? Right? I haven't seen that question being asked and answered. You know, on a, you know, very much on, on, you know, I haven't met many people who have actually done that exercise, but certainly not on a societal level. Um, you know, I've been in touch with, you know, for years uh, with different GPC people, with the, there's a, what's it called, the Kirtan Standards Committee. Right, right, of course. I've corresponded with them a number of times and even spoken with, you know, some of their leaders a number of times. And there's not, not the interest isn't there to do this exercise. So I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing, right? Because you know that, and that has um, you know some important aspect. We can look at it from you know two angles. For one, it's gonna it's gonna be very inclusive, right? The kirtan's gonna be able to really allow people a very broad, you know, set of you know just discretionary you know choices you know mm. it's up to you you know to how to do your kirtan and there's something really inviting and appealing about that for a certain section of people right right and that's a you know so just everything from a, you know especially when we're talking about societies and so on it's like it just depends on what you want to accomplish you know and my personal tastes are one thing but you know it just depends on what ISKCON wants to do and I would say that's kind of what they want to do is leave it open is it too vague to say, uh, okay, it's for the pleasure of Krishna, it's to um, attract uh, people to Krishna consciousness, mm -hmm. um, or are we? St are you talking more? Well, those two things would basically be like kind of yeah, two really, <laughs> you know, you could have kirtan in two very different ways using you know one or the other of those. yeah those are two different things aren't they i mean that's one way you could kind of divide up the the subject into its broadest two polarities right are we doing this for outside or for inside you know and uh, you know funnily sometimes when people ask me hey you know what makes the classical system of murdanga different from like hey you know tabla or south Indian murdanga or you know, in other words, classical music as we know it. And it's for, for those who know Indian classical music, you know. Mm. Or I would, I would just open it up broad and just say classical music, period. And so my, my natural answer to that is, well, um, classical music 
I have my back to Krishna, I'm facing the audience and I'm pleasing the audience, right. you know, with what I'm doing. And uh, what we're doing with, you know, devotional music, you know, bhakti-oriented music. And, and to me, that's really what Vedic music means. Whether you define divinity as being, right, simply a mysterious, you know, absolute, but we know that there, there is spirit. Uh, you know, the guru is the one who defines what that spirit is for you. But however you regard the absolute, Vedic music is, is meant to bring us an experience of that absolute. It's meant to be all kind of oriented to that. And for a bhakta, it's even like I'm doing seva for the pleasure of that absolute. And so I'm facing Krishna and the music is all basically going to naturally culturally form in a different way mm. because of that, you know. So the pieces will all be the same. The techniques will be the same. The concepts about musical structure will be the same, but the way I'll put those pieces together and the effects that they'll bring out will be dramatically different. Right, right. Wow. That's really, that's very interesting. Uh, and I understand, you know, your history of, of uh, in ISKCON, now you follow a, a sort of sim Krishna Bhakti path, but yeah. it's a different path. It's mm -hmm. the path of Pushti Marg. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about how that came about, because um, nowadays, you know, we can say if someone s leaves Iskon, I don't mm -hmm. consider that you've left or anything mm -hmm. like that. But uh, if you've left Iskon in the sense of taking mm -hmm. uh, initiation elsewhere or something, mm -hmm. it's like kind of looked down upon. I mean, you right. know all about that, but uh, but I'd like to know more about that, about mm -hmm. about what attracted you to that right. part of Vaishnavism. Um, I'm by nature a, a thoughtful person. Uh, since a young age, I've always been, you know, inquisitive, and I, I like to understand things. I like to understand people and. And, you know, that requires a little bit more privacy, you know, in con whatever it is, a conversation, a relationship, uh, and, and also my personal life and practice. And so um, the way that spirituality is practiced in Pushti Marg, I, when I came across it, you know, through Shamdas when I was uh, in the, I guess, 1994, 95, whatever it was, um, and then later when I moved to India, um, it was just such an easy, natural fit for me. It wasn't like I was, you know, looking for, I didn't know what I was, you know, specifically in a concrete way looking for, but actually by studying Srila Prabhupada's books and really going into, you know, struggling to understand through word-for-word -word meanings, through the Sanskrit language, through the, the actual philosophy itself, you know, what the path of bhakti was. Um, you know, naturally, a, a big society like ISKCON, which includes many things, it's a confluence of many ideologies and people in a very broad, you know, sort of container. Mm -hmm. um, when I came across Pushti Marg, the, the conclusions that I had been reaching from that study and my and the, my practices, you know, I was living in temple as a brahmacharya at that time, really just uh, as soon as I found Pushti Marg, which is really a culture that is, you know, instead of being a temple-based culture uh, that's, you know, very outgoing and, you know, broadcast the message, you know, and, and so on. It's very much about doing your own um, worship of your deity of Krishna, right, your Swarupa of Krishna 
and your own private home and organizing your own private life around that. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was just like, oh, wow, that's exactly what I, you know, what I had kind of already been kind of getting to. And I had this sort of rough, you know, negative outline of it. And then here's the positive piece in it. So I just naturally sort of fell into it. And, you know, we can talk from the, you know, from a bhakti angle, you know, one thing is following a religion, you know, with rules and so on. And another thing is, you know, the path of love is a completely different path itself. And, um, you know, nobody can force their way into anyone's life or their heart. It's it's really something that we have to give entrance to someone. Right. Right. To really get to know us. And, um, and so, you know, for me, it was uh, nothing I could have tried to do you know you can say to be captivated by something like that you know and and, uh, so it just kind of came in a very natural way and i just fell in love with it right away and um so it wasn't like i was trying to get away from iscon or had you know wasn't negatively sort of motivated that way i was just like wow this is exactly what i wanted i've been looking for and it just kind of happened that 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 way and uh yeah but uh yeah the you know like you said it's um Sharing the same basic uh, goal, you got the, you know, um, in terms of, you know, pure love that is directed, you know, towards the absolute entity, you know, uh, Krishna and so on like that is still the basic premise. And, you know, for those of, you know, who are familiar with bhakti, especially Krishna bhakti philosophy and so on, you know, Srimati Radharani, Swamini, the gopis being the highest gurus, you know, their their um, standard of love is seen as the highest. So philosophically, the foundations are quite quite parallel, kind of as much as actually two bhakti, Krishna bhakti traditions could uh, could be. Really, there's right. there's some that do have some pretty large departures in terms of what that final goal looks like and what their definition of you know pure Krishna bhakti looks like. Mm-hmm. And these two are quite you know, parallel on that, on that, uh, level. Um, you know, although the practices are, you know, contrasted in that kind of, you know, in your own home versus in the temple kind of a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. How is, um, so I know, I know in, in, in Pushti Marg Mahaprabhu is the name for Vallabhacharya. Right. And in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, Mm -hmm. Mahaprabhu is Lord Chaitanya. Yeah. So for you being from both, uh-huh. Um, from both, you could say your upbringing as a Godia and your now yeah. you're you've accepted a Pushti mark. How do you harmonize those two mm-hmm. things? Well, um, I as my I asked my guru one time, you know, and, uh, but, you know, Krishna is Krishna, and Krishna doesn't belong to a sampradaya, and so on. And and really, what the path of pure bhakti is about, uh, as differenced from, you know, a path that is ruled more by, you know rules and regulations right and kind of you know higher and lower and reward and punishment and fear fear or guilt on one side you know versus commendation on the other whatnot uh is really about crossing over from uh you know fitting into a group or a set of rules and so on and more about entering into the rules of love which are completely internally situated Mm. and so you know you can say, I mean, one way or another, would if if we really want to situate ourselves in a path of grace, you know, 
then it's really all about that. Even if you're, you know, raised in this kind of stay in this car, raised in pushti, stay in pushti, it's still gonna, there's going to have to be a crossover at some point of, you know, not being there to follow rules and not being there to fit into a sectarian kind of a, you know, group consciousness where my identity is based on these external fixtures. Right. But my, you know, in our, you know, my ashray, my shelter for who I am is central. That's the first step in the path of grace is actually, uh, we call it Atmani Vedanam. For those of you who are familiar with Navda Bhakti, the nine processes of Bhakti, you know, um, which are accredited to Prahlad Maharaj and Bhagavad Bhagavatam, um, you know, Shravanam, Kirtanam, Smaranam, you know, uh, and the nine processes end and culminate in Atmani Vedanam. Uh, so, Mahaprabhuji um, Vallabhacharya, in uh, the perspective that he gives Atmani Vedanam for the Pushti Marg, as opposed to the Marg that we advance in by following rules and, you know, doing vows and tapasya and, you know, mantras and whatever it is, mm-hmm. starts with an internal thing of Atmani Vedanam or offering my, my Atma, myself, the, you know, to Krishna. So basically, my relationship with him is who I am, just as now, you know, my name is Bhima Karma and so on and so on, and my life story was like this and like that, has to do with my relationships, right, centering on my birth here, and then my mother and father, and my family, and community, and ISKCON, and all that. Mm. So, the, the real, the beginning of the path is actually here, you know, in the Diksha, it's Brahma Sambandha, to establish your sambandha with you know Brahma, with the absolute, with Krishna, and so from there it begins. So I'm not I'm not a pushti margi. I'm not a godi. I'm a, you know I'm Krishna's. Right. Wow, that's very beautiful explanation. Um, yeah, that's I I always find uh, I mean my my family are pushti margis. Uh, ah, huh. My grandparents and beyond I, I i assume uh and I, I was always fascinated by the way they did things and the way they mm-hmm. worshipped my my aunt was very much into her deity worship in pushti marg and um i really appreciated uh, really appreciate them very much and and have you ever been to that temple there in in um in pennsylvania grudge is that a pushti marg yes it is so that's a right so that would be like kind of like well say i thought you just said there were like you know temples and push but what about that temple over there in pennsylvania (laughs) right right yeah so yeah my guruji has he has a problem with that really yeah so this is something that you know uh you know goes on in all of our lives we you know we have our values and then we kind of have to re-reckon them and as situations change and so on and so it's a thing that's happening now that you know, a lot of the families that have migrated to America right. for on one side, and it's going on in India in some places too, but, um, you know, as a way to find community and, you know, celebrate festivals together, of course, so. kids hang out, all this. Yeah. There's a mandir, and so you go there. And, but what's what's happened is they kind of sort of grouped together, like the community center and, and Seva, but the whole thing that defines, you know, what seva is in the pushti and what the whole path is is your homes that's the thing your home oh, seva I is see. the center okay. and so it's this real crucial underpinning death defining thing in the pushti market that's now having seeing some of them changing over into going to this mandir pattern 
and becoming kind of like more of a general Hindu. You know, you can say... Uh, right, people know. just come there not because they're fully into yeah. Krishna necessarily. They could be just wanting to come to a Hindu temple or yeah. something. Yeah, and so uh, it's kind of like, you know, from a Pushti perspective and terminology, you would say that's more of a Maryada path they're following. Right. And and it's being kind of ascribed a Pushti name, you know, kind of a thing. But So that's, you know, that there that's a controversy and an issue that's, you know, like every any larger community deals with those kind of issues but you know it's an important differentiation so is the only temple then considered Nathadwara is like that's the temple though well even Nathadwara right so uh, the, the, he's called the Tilakayat right he's the head of the family in whose uh, Haveli which is basically just kind of like a you know a, a palace or, and he he is, you know, the keeper of Shinachi. His family serves Shinachi generation after generation. Right. And so Shinachi is, you know, basically the deity of their house. He's the, you know, Krishna Swarup of oh, their house. Of their house, right. And so, and, and in fact, they're called the, you know, the ghars, the houses. And so there's, you know, um, seven lineages aside from, you know, Shinachi living in Natwara that have, you know, the seven nidhi self-manifest Krishna Swarups, you know, that are um, uh, each of the heads of those households worship in their homes. And the Diksha, the initiations, are given by people in those households. Right. And the Sevaks are basically worshiping under the, you know, guidance and connection from those houses and worshiping in their homes. Mm. So on and so on, right? Mm. So that's the whole, the whole, and so there's no, if you go to a Haveli, it's basically that guru's house in which he, and you, and you get to go there and see how your guru is doing seva and worshiping Krishna. And, and, and it's, and it's common. It's, you know, it's not like there's black and white rules to it, but it's common that, you know, in each house they'll, you know, have specialities in terms of you know everything colors and music and you know so on and so on for different utsavs even right. you know uh, and people who are sevaks in that particular house will do things in that pattern and you know so yeah it, in in the worship itself is it is it very um like for example like we have pancharatric um, uh-huh. the way we do pancharatric vidis right. uh like how there's different steps of doing different mm-hmm. things and like mm-hmm. is it like that or i understand it's more about you know uh devotion and kind of very um spontaneous right. so but are there guidelines but are there guidelines yeah right. yeah so yeah pancharatriki vidis are aren't used um but they do play a role sometimes um but basically you know in life we're always going to have the same ingredients in life you know Everyone's got the same kind of stuff that we're dealing with. And it's not like we're going to ever get rid of this or that. Mm-hmm. It's just about how we're arranging stuff and what is predominant over the rest of it. And, and therefore, what everything else organizes around. And you can say that's what, you know, gives us character. You know, oh, you know, Vima, he likes, you know, Murdanga a lot. And so he's, he's a Murdanga player. I, no, I'm not I'm a person, but, you know, but we, whatever we you know, consider predominant and we live around that becomes a predominant thing that everything else organized. And so, and the only differences are that 
the any type of puja, right, as you call it, when you're, you're doing something like, you know, circling incense this many times and right. you, know, you have to do achman by chanting certain mantras and, you know, to purify yourself before you do that puja, right? Um, those would only be done in a mood of like, like Mother Yashoda or Nanda Maharaj might have done to protect their son and to, you know, ward off the evil spirits and keep him, you know, sanct, you yeah. know, and so on. Um, the seva, um, which was, you know, basically established by Vallabhadraya and, and a great deal uh, developed by his son, uh, Gosainji, or Vitalnachi was his you know, name, but he's popularly known as Gosainji. Gosainji, right? right. Like Goswami, but in Rajabhasha, Gosain. Right. Um, is basically, you know, when I wake up Krishna, I ring a little bell. You know, like, uh, you know, what's a nice way that I could wake up Krishna? You know? and, and of course, we, we draw upon all these Vedic resources. For instance, if you look into... Natya Shastra, for one, you know, there's many cases where they'll say the same thing, but what's the, the king of all instruments is the bell. Right. Ding! <laughs> you know, pure sound, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> right. Shushiravadya. Ding! And uh, so we start with, and, and what does spiritual life start with? Ding! You know, <laughs> everything's quite. So, and then, and I want to, and, and I'll, I'll, before Krishna even gets out of bed, Right, and he and he has a bed, right, yeah. and he sleeps in his bed. I'll bring him some something warm to drink, hmm. you know. That's that's ju- and it shouldn't be too hot, you know. It shouldn't be too cold, and it should, you know, be just if I mean, it's milk, I'll spice it nicely, you know, so on and so on. Right. So the guidelines are, you know, give give you know wake up Krishna nicely, give him something nice and tasty and warm to drink, and you know, if Krishna is your beloved. Treat your beloved like your beloved, right. all, all day and all night. Mm. And you know, uh, that's that's basically the name of the game. So you, you and you you'll draw upon resources that you have, Vedic resources, you know, material resources, financial, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But it's just what's predominant in our lives. That's all. What organizes it? So right. if love organizes it, it will manifest in a certain way. And if rules organize it. Love will be there, mm. but it will just be predominated over by the rules. Like, you know, if I'm someone who's attached to formalities, I can love you when you behave right. You know, but I just can't stand people who just aren't righteous. And according to how I define righteousness or, or, or according to, you know, what righteousness is. There is an objective morality, you can say. I like moral people and I can love moral people. And more people I can't. But if love is predominant to me, I can really love anybody mm-hmm. who's engaging in a loving exchange with me. They're moral, they're immoral, they're whatever they are. Yeah. So that's kind of the difference of the two paths, you know, just what's predominant. Love. Yeah. Beautiful. Wow. And your relationship now with... Um, with your roots of ISKCON, what would you say that is? Because is there is there a lot of um, is there a big role Murdanga plays in Pushti Marg? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. So yeah. So uh, how does how do you harmonize that? It's been difficult from a lot of angles, you know, because obviously, you know, no matter where you go in life, you don't get rid of your family, you know, and <laughs> for better or for worse, you know, there it's you know, you were born into your family, that's what you got. Yeah. 
and uh, you know it, and it's it's a little more obviously complex because you know being raised in Iskon, it's also a spiritual family as well, and it, so it has been challenging. And I, and I have you know zigzagged back. You know, a, a river doesn't just you know go in a laser straight path to the ocean right it, yeah. it sort of needs to do all kinds of things you know mm-hmm. depending on the terrain it's crossing and it's been like that and it's been a struggle to sort of you know gradually develop a lifestyle you know um that works and yeah Murdunga in pushed you so that's a you know uh amazing story as well you know because and pushed the padas or the poems that are sung uh, as kirtan right so kirtan is when you sing to krishna whereas what we call bhajan is when we uh, when you know krishna is off in his own leela you know we've had him rajbog and he's gone out to play and we curtains are closed and so on and so on so we're going about our day doing our work and what we need to do and and when we do you know singing of glorification or remembrance at that time that's what we call bhajan hmm. uh so but the padas the poems that are used to do those things um especially as you go back and back they all you know whenever they speak about you know instruments they always say murdanga bajave murdanga bajati like all this you know so right, if there's right. a drum spoken about it's generally mur- there's a few more recent you know uh, as you get more recent there's some mentions of pakawaj here and there okay but uh, generally you'll hear murdanga bajave so um I had an interesting trip to Natwara one time with uh, Shyamdas, and he introduced me to the second house. So if you go to Natwara, very amazing town everyone should go to one time. It's super interesting because it's like a, a time capsule of Brajavasi culture. Because all the attendants of Shinachi when, you know, uh, was it the, I think the grandson of Akbar, Aranzeb? I think it was his grandson. Anyways, uh, when Aranzeb, you know, who was the last of the big, you know, Mughal rulers, uh, he was on this, you know, rampage, destroying temples and deities and so on. Um, Shinachi, right, left and he moved, you know, to, over a period, a long period of time to Natwara. But all that, the all of his attendants and all the families that served him in different ways, right, right. went with him and so on. And so they still wear their traditional attire. They still speak the Brijabasha. You know, it's like, wow. and you know, if you go to um, Vraj these days, it's a you know, it's a real compendium. You got all kinds of people doing all kinds of things for all kinds of reasons and all kinds of ways and at all kinds of times. You know, like it's yeah. it's quite a cacophony. Yeah. You know, but it, you know, uh, Natwara is a one day of a town where you have this Brijabasi culture there. So anyways, Nachi is switched, situated in the center there. But right across, literally right across the gully, is the second house uh, where Navanita Priyaji is there, and and so the f- I got to meet um, Maharaji Kalyan Raiji, who's the you know head of head of the second house there. And what, what's what does it mean by second house? Um, oh, so um, Vallabhacharya, ha- his son was Gosainji, right? His second son actually, but Gosainji was the one who continued the lineage. He had seven sons. Okay. And so. Basically, you have seven houses. Okay. Plus the Tilakaya, who you know, takes care of Shinachi Seva. And so the second house would be the you know the second of those sons oh, okay. of those Sainji. So they're like grandsons of Vallabhacharya. Oh wow! Right. And so the lineage is, is like that. You have these. So you you went in the second house. Yeah, and I got to meet you know um, the Maharaj of that house, Kalyan Raiji. 
and uh, Shamdas introduced me, and you know, Murdango was always attached to my my body, and so I was there, and he, and I had been studying uh, for a few years at that point, yeah, uh, with Bablu Das in Vrindavan, of course, and and so he he's a president award winning Pakavaji. You know, there's three members of their family who've you know won like huge awards, you know, in classical music because it's all part of Seva, right? You know, and so he had me play a few compositions that I had learned, you know, really? that are called Gant, you know, uh, uh-huh. Gant are like these, you know, those of you who you know study Murdanga stuff, you know, like things like, you know, these kind of longer compositions that are called Gant. And so I did a few of these because those are the, you know, when you have longer compositions, that's what kind of, you know, displays the special character or rhythmic style of your tradition kind of. Right. So he, you know, and he's a scholar and so on in this field. And so he listened for a while, you know, and, con- and hmm, you know, like like this. And, and uh, he gave some really insightful reflections that really changed my perspective on everything. Really? Yeah, he's well. He's the one who opened my eyes to the fact, first of all, which was I had run into it before. But you know, he just pointed out all the old padas say Murdanga Bajave, but here we are playing the Pakawaj, and actually, you know, the old drum was Murdanga. But you know, when the Islamic you know rule was there, it it changed to the Pakawaj. And, wow! And actually, the word Avaj is a Urdu word. Avaz, right? yeah. Yeah. Av- Avaj, yeah. Yeah. Avaz, yeah. Avaz. The J becomes a Z okay. in the Persian, right? Yeah. So, yeah, that's an Urdu word. Right? Yeah. It's not even a Sanskrit, you know, coming directly from Sanskrit. Right, right. You know, although Urdu does, you know. There's many Gujarati words that have that Z. Yeah. It's not from Gujarati itself. It's fr- it's from yeah. Urdu yeah. or Persian or whatever you say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, hundreds of years of occupation like that. So, yeah. Um, but he, he remarked that, you know, if we contrast, compare the Pakawaj traditions that we have, and, uh, you know, it's called Haveli Sangita, mm-hmm. right, um, to South Indian music, to North Indian classical music, you'll see striking contrast both in, you know, the sounds, the rhythmic structures, um, but when it, with you know the the compositions that you're playing, there's a, a great deal of you know not just similarity but structural you know parallels, and so he he basically in his opinion they both come from you know a common root, and um, so that really opened my eyes to a whole new way of looking at things. And then I wow. you know and there's a history between you know Godia and Pushti culture as well. They were you know Raj wasn't always this you know. <laughs> amazing cacophony of you know a thousand ashrams like all doing many things you know in there yeah it used to be a smaller Vaishnav community you know that wasn't so divided by camps or sampradayas or whatnot you know and uh, oh so you're saying that there was a, a good uh, there was some kind of connection oh yeah them. yeah quite you know if you're a Vaishnav and you're around and they're all doing the same style of kirtan basically if you look back even in Gaudiya history you know Jupad kirtan was you know what was you know, the way that people did kirtan back right. then. And, um, you know, from the uh, Manoharshai tradition is what I study in in Murdanga, which is from Srinivasacharya, who, right, settled um, in Manohar district. And there's still a little village called Manohar near Bardaman Station okay. in, in uh, Bengal. So basically the West Bengal style of playing Murdanga, you can say, is all sort of flowing out of the Manoharshai style. Mm-hmm. So uh, Srinivasacharya, Narottam Das Thakur, and 
um, Shyamananda Pandit. They all, you know, famously studied together in Vrindavan for uh, or a Braj area for you know roughly ten to twelve years, whatever it was. Um, you know, Rupa and Sanatana Goswami passed away. You know, and uh, Jiva Goswami basically was their their primary teacher and so on. And right. but when they brought the uh, traditions back, you know, naturally wherever they they went back to their hometowns. So what is now like the Bangladesh area? Yeah. That's where Narottam Das Thakur is from. And so that Bangladeshi style of kirtan that you'll hear, which is more clean and simple and straight. But generally these days you'll only hear kind of the fast parts of it, uh, you know, because the slow parts take a lot more focus and concentration. And right. know, it's not a lot of audience for that these days, you know. Yeah. So, <laughs> but even when it gets into the large circuit, it's clean, it's spacious, it's very meditative, it's intense, it's deep, you know, like that. Mm. So, there, But these are all like kind of, you know, springing out of obviously what they had done in Brindavan. So the music, musical styles naturally came out of that. Wow. Right. So you can say they're, you know, branch derivatives out of, you know, the Drupad style of, you know, uh, Kirtan that was d- done at the time, originally called Druva Padda, right? Druva, you know, like Druva Maharaj, the Druva star. Right. Right. Steady, right? Firm. Fixed. You know, fixed. Yeah. Right. Wow. So that's the, you know, the Murdanga and the Pakawaj basically did have that, even historically, they had that common root there. And, and Braj and, and you know like a river flowing through towns you pick up you know some of the things as you flow through the towns and but it's still the same river hmm. it's still the same river I I see how you know you've studied so much of the of this art and everything and and nowadays we see that people don't put as much effort into things like the way mm-hmm. you did and and um what would you say is something new Murdanga players or new mm-hmm. Kirtaniyas can keep in mind while well, staying with the tradition but at the same time making it realistic also for them, mm-hmm. for their lives as well because mm-hmm. they can't spend, you know, whatever 10 hours mm-hmm. practicing or mm-hmm. going to India for a long mm-hmm. period of time. Mm-hmm. How would you say we could keep the tradition alive mm-hmm. but at the same time be real to ourselves of realistic mm-hmm. i would say well the the tradition you know again will have everything has its you know external manifestation uh you know the cup you know will never go out of existence even if we destroyed every cup <laughs> in existence today you know the cup will still exist on some level right yeah uh you know anyone who knows me knows I just I just get philosophical with stuff all the time but right. you know basically what I would do is the first thing I would say to people is l- let's let's start by asking and answering the vital question what would I like to achieve right with Murdanga playing what do I what you know when it comes down to you know I have this and there's nothing else I want to get out this is what I want yeah. I'm not getting this because I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna use it to get this, and I'm gonna use it to get that. And okay, but where is that? In, you know, now I'm doing with Murdanga what I want to do, right? And whatever that is for the person, that should be where they start. Start doing that first, and get what you need to continue doing that and to develop the doing of that. So you know, for me, uh, you know, as a, since I was a young child. 
um, you know, my simple desire, you know, I, I never had a dream and I still don't have a dream of being some, you know, famous Murdanga player, make tons of money out of Murdanga or, or even teaching Murdanga. It's not really, I'll, I do those, you know, well, just the teaching part, <laughs> but, um, uh, really my simple desire is just, I, I just have this, I liked, I want to play Murdanga for Krishna and have him really like it. Wow. That's something what he really, he just, he likes it. And I want to be able to play in such a way that he loves, he, he likes that. And, and I can have that, you know, pleasure of seeing that he gets pleasure out of my Murdanga playing, you know, and that's, that's really simply what I want. And so what I would tell people is, you know, whatever you're uh, not manufactured, but whatever you, you make an effort, you know, and ask yourself that question. Right. Do it so first. Do what it takes to answer that question. Go deep enough. You don't have to get you know freaky about it. Huh. But you know, it, you know, like when, like if we're talking, we need to we don't need to know every single atomic details. But is it a cup or is it a shoe? You know, right? What do you want basically to you know? What's your end result you're looking for? And start doing that first. Like if you asked me that question, maybe yeah. when I first started playing, it would probably be like. To be the coolest right. Murdanga player around, playing right. the most complicated beats and right. making everyone be like, "Whoa, he's really cool!" Right. How does it evolve into something more like of your of what you just said? That's uh-huh. such a beautiful, amazing, amazing reason to to do something for the pleasure of god and to you know just the way you communicated oh make him be like oh i really like this you know what is it what did it take for you and i know it's a very long discussion but for for you to come from what i was thinking maybe you might have thought that anytime Mm -hmm. sometime in your life but then come to that real you know i guess the you know like culture is a cool word in english you know because you know it's it's something that develop and produces things out of it right and um so the the you could say the vedic culture you know one way we could think about it is the culture of guru and shishya relationship you know the 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 teacher and the student relationship and you know just the fact that you know i'm going to go to a teacher to learn there's a culture in that and there's a whole life process that will unfold by simply embracing the, that basic cultural idea that whatever it is I want to do, I should go to a teacher right. to learn about it. I should investigate it. I should invest myself into knowing you know, about it. Right. <laughs> because the, the last, in any process of life, whether I want to drink a glass of water or you know, whatever it is, the last part of the process is the process how am I going to do it and how am I going to play Murdanga and so on. You know, the first part is, what do I want to accomplish? Mm. The second part is, where am I now in relationship to where I want to get? And then the third part is navigating the creative, you know, gap, the, the, bridging the gap and, you know, what am I going to do, kind of how. So the, the culture of guru and disciple is, you know, really a super principle, essential axiomatic part of Veda culture. So whatever you got around you in terms of a guru, go there, go, you know, grab that low hanging fruit first, you know, and then, yeah, but keep going, you know, the best thing that you, the best instruction you can get, the best, you know, go there. Um, 
and then you know and what i'll say is like you know there's in any field there's going to be a way to recognize who's who in terms of you know teachers in any field that because there's always going to be you know masters who have gone before us right and so that creates a tradition or a lineage a sampradaya a handing down of you know and a developing of a tradition and so for instance with mridanga you know there's a whole you know set of terminology there's a you know a whole set of a body of concepts you know that have you know when it comes to you know just time right uh, which in rhythm translates into laya which is like the the tempo the mm. temporal flow i call it and and then into you know the revolution of time right and and how many counts are we going to use as we divide up that revolution of time and right you know and it has two halves uh, the right uh -huh. half and the left half you know we, anyways we're about to go on a serious <laughs> rabbit hole <here>, so. <laughs> let's not do that now <laughs> so um go to go to a guru and and but also go to a guru. read a book like the a vedic book or something it's a vedic tradition right so I, I recommend people read, look, look online. Even there's a lot of essays out there that just deal with music and you know drumming and you know read Natya Shastra a little bit, read Sangeet Ratnakar a little bit. You know, if, you know, get your feet wet a little bit. Mm -hmm. But at least if you're going to go learn from somebody, ask them, who have you learned from? Right. What is what's your authority? Kind of yeah, where's it coming from? You know what? And, of course, of course. And what's the basis of? You know, if, if you're a Murdanga teacher, what's the basis of a Murdanga teacher? How do I know you're a teacher? You know, like, right. what, what are you teaching from? Who taught you? Like, all these kind of simple things, you know. And and there's nothing wrong with, you know, somebody teaching Murdanga because I know a little bit of Murdanga and I'm around and here and I like to do this seva. That's great. But when we have this attitude, all of us together, of Guru, you know, looking up to Guru and up to tradition, up to Sampradaya. Here we are now all serving together a tradition, mm -hmm. right? And the, the amazing thing that happens is, you know, when I, when I, first of all, when I get connected to tradition, I get like, you know, unlimited amounts of wisdom and, you know, development of technical information, all, like, as much as you could take. And I get imbued with you know this deep foundation and and like a, a skill you know uh, i you know all of us have our personal style and you know flair and you know things that make us unique and they'll come out in our madanga playing you know unavoidably yeah you know but when we take on a tradition and and uh, you know give ourselves atmani vedana right give ourselves to to be of service to a tradition instead of take something from the tradition right Oh, I saw, you know, Dean McCarty played this beat and it was really cool. And now I can put it and decorate myself with this beat. And it's oh, like, yeah, and I, right. look, I look even cooler than I did before. And like, you yeah. know, kind of thing. But I give myself to the tradition. You'll get from the tradition way, like just, you know, <laughs> like a Mahabharata, a nice comparison, you know, uh, you know, and they compare uh, someone really great to someone who they think is not really great. They'll say he's a fig in comparison, you know, it's like... <laughs> You know, here's me, and there's a fig. <laughs> so, like, you know, so, uh, yeah, you'll get all that honor, and, and you'll be the coolest and greatest Murdanga player ever by not 
you know, it's not me. Yeah. And people sometimes come and tell me, oh, wow, you're Madonna playing, you know, Guru Kripa. It's Guru's grace, man. It's, you're right. It's, it's amazing that I can do that. Like, yeah. I would have never dreamed as a kid. I, I could, you know, <laughs> it's yeah, amazing. Yeah. And, you know, only I can know how amazing it is that even someone like me could, you know, play Madonna like that. Like, it's, it's truly Guru's grace. And it's a beautiful thing. And I know. You know, that it's because it comes from Krishna. It's what, you know, it's the Yamuna is, you know, flowing out of Krishna's heart. And we take that Yamuna water and offer it to him. By his grace, we get the Yamuna. By his grace, we get the idea to be able to offer you. And by, you know, it's. And so I know I've achieved. And so from the beginning, I may know no Madanga beats, but even by just doing that. You know, simple patram pushpam palam toyam, you know, bhakti parachati. Like. Right. So go to Guru, and anyone who wants to learn Murdang, I'm, I'm here. So um, uh, basically, I, I teach in Manoharshai tradition, but it's much more than that. Manoharshai tradition is in, almost dead. There's very few people who want to learn it or are teaching it. But what I've done more than that, I've I, I've been studying the technical aspects always for some years. But you know, there's there's very deep things about Vedic music that you know it's not music. It's mm-hmm. not just you know whatever. It, you know, entering deeply into the anubhava or direct experience of the flow of time, and all I'm doing is honestly reporting what i'm here quote unquote hearing through this experience that mm. i'm having inside of rhythm mm. so the first lesson i always teach is just counting we say one two three and there's an amazing profundity in just counting like this and you know so if you ask us how do i know where the three and the four like and I, and, I, and I know I'm on time, and I know I was early, or I know I was late. Like, there's a knowledge in us, an automatic knowledge we have, of, well, especially Murdunga players, you know, not like some of those guys are sitting there, like, you know, I don't even know how they clap off time, you know, 108 <laughs> times in a row, but, you know, so some of us have the sensibility, and what is that thing we're feeling, and what, you know, but we just put our mind out of the way, and just report, now, now. Now, and when we do that, we become a patra, a vessel for live, you know, divine substance coming through us and people feel it and get it right there. And it's like, there's no wow. philosophy and someday some zap is going to come and just, you know, I'm going to be a pure devotee. I'm going to be like, whatever. Right there. You, you see, if you just even whack that, you know, clap your hands, but just. Is, it's divine. Wow. Right? It's not me. I'm just listening and reporting honestly. Transparent via medium. Uh, that's where it all comes from. Thank you. Jai. Thank you so much. Sorry, sorry I know I ramble about this no, stuff. No, no, no. It's really, really nice. Um, I, I just want to appreciate you. Thank you so much for coming and yeah. for giving that, um, giving your explanations, your philosophy, and and on on the questions I asked, and and I and I admire you very much as a 
you know, as a musician, as a devotee of Krishna, um, and and it's just beautiful what you're doing and how you're sharing it with others. And um, if someone wants to get in touch with you, are you on social media? Or are you Murdanga.com. Murdanga.com. Um, uh, MR. dot com. Um, but bimakarma at Gmail also works. Okay. B h i m a k a r m a at gmail.com and um, yeah just to respond there you know it, I think the most beautiful thing that I you know I've kind of come to is that you know Bhima Karma you know my you know, Dikshit Nam Lalita Das you know it's like we have these roles that we were given to play you know we, we don't know why we got this role or you know what but it's not mine yeah and neither are any of the naturally the activities that you know are naturally going on here, mm. and and it is really wonderful that we're given a role to play where we can do something to contribute to the you know the family and the, the you know how many people can we know in life and mm. we here we we've been gifted these relationships definitely and it's really a gift to you know be able to contribute something meaningful and valuable to each other Mm-mm. and in my dedicating myself to do something. I have also gained a, a great deep respect and admiration for everybody around me. Right. And that's probably the greatest gift I got. Not something now that I have something. It's like, wow, I don't have criticism of anybody anymore. All I have is like, wow, we're all just playing these roles. And it's not like, right. the, it's not the person. It's beautiful. Like, you know, it's like, wow. What a great outlook. <laughs> yeah, it is. Nice. Uh, yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Jai. Hari. Karma. Thank you so much. Um, so that that's it. That's all the time we have. And uh, if you want to get in touch with him, check out Murdanga.com or Bhimakarma at Gmail. He's also on social media, Facebook, Bhimakarma. And get in touch. You want to learn Murdanga, want to know more about um, Krishna Bhakti, philosophy, whatever it is. Thank you. Jai. Take care. Hari.